of you remember the day you were saved? I do. I remember it like it was yesterday. And as they were singing that, you just want to say thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Amen? That was a beautiful song. I've never heard that before, but that was a beautiful song and a blessing to my heart. I want to take just a moment and say thank you for allowing me to be here this week. Preacher, thank you for inviting me. And uh, I have certainly enjoyed, and I, I mean, what I say I mean, I hope you understand that. Uh, I don't say the same thing everywhere I go, I say what's true, and I've, I've truly enjoyed and appreciated my time with your pastor and his family. Never, ever, ever take for granted a pastor that loves you and a pastor that loves being your pastor. And I guarantee you that's what you have. You know, one of the things, I'll tell you one of the things I love about this church. Can I tell you what it is? It's where it's at. No. (laughs) I do love that. I love that you've got a legacy of a 43-year pastor. Did I get that right? 43 years? And... Now this pastor working on going on nine years. Do, do you understand what that is? I, I honestly I don't know that there's 25 other churches in America that have uh, that kind of a blessing of long-term pastors. And I hope you appreciate that. I, I really love your church. And sometimes we think that everybody has one like this. Everybody has a church where people work, and everybody has a church that is pastored with people like this, and, and I just want you to know that's not true, and I, I really want to encourage you to love and appreciate what God has given you in, in this church. And what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, that means you protect it, and you participate in it, and you're prayerfully thankful for what God has given you. A church family. I love seeing, I loved Saturday morning, seeing people. I, I couldn't believe it. They, they almost enjoyed fellowship one, with one another more than my preaching. Can you imagine that? I can't get that. I, I don't understand it. What a wonderful thing it is. And so thank you for letting me be part of it for just a few days. Uh, I love, I don't know whether this is a valley or whether this is a mountain or a holler or what, uh, but I love this place, and God has blessed you to live in a very, very beautiful place. I hope you appreciate that. I'd like to take that river and Stony Creek with me, I guarantee you. I'd put it in my trunk. if I, uh, With the pulpit, it won't fit, but <clears throat> amen. But just... Thank you for being so kind to me, and uh, I have truly, truly enjoyed my time here. Hey, thank you, musicians. Uh, You know, sometimes we don't think about all the time that they put in, and uh, they're here early on Sunday, and they're practicing, and and, uh, the, the piano, and the organ, and all the time that goes into that, I just want you to know that I appreciate, I don't, there she is, I appreciate the folks that play those instruments. Greg, I even like you. <laughs> amen. I, <laughs> amen. I, I'm grateful for men like you who, who love the Lord and, and just want to do right and bring so much to a church service. Aren't you glad there's more to church than just me preaching? 
hey, hey, watch out now. But I mean it. Music brings so much to our services and so much to our lives. Man, that was demonstrated tonight. And I, I'm just grateful for you and thank you for it. All right, turn with me. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And I'll speak to you for just a few moments. How many of you believe that? Just a few moments on this thought. God is able. Do you believe that tonight? God is able. Notice chapter 3 and verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're sure grateful for this opportunity we've had. This has been refreshing to my soul to be here Saturday and Sunday and Monday and today. Thank you for the privilege of this in my life. And Lord, we come now to this last service. I thank you for just the attentiveness and the way folks have been so willing to listen in a long time. I know they do that because they love you and they love your word, but I'm grateful for it. And I pray tonight that you would speak to us and Lord, help us to see that what we face in our lives, you're able to enable us. And God, I pray that our lives would redound to your glory. Help us to see truth tonight and apply it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The Israelites had gone from great glory and victory to what they thought was going to be incredible defeat. When they marched up out of Egypt, man, there was singing and praising the Lord. God had delivered them from horrible bondage. And not only delivered them from bondage, but had blessed them materially and in every way coming up out of there. And I'm sure that that first three days of that journey up out of Egypt was an incredible time of just saying how good God was. But on that journey, God on purpose brought them to the edge of the Red Sea. And when they got to the edge of the Red Sea, that praising evaporated real quick. And the truth is, as they stood there at the edge of the Red Sea, they went from praising to complaining in just a matter of hours. As a matter of fact, listen to the conversation and how they accused Moses. Because there were no graves in Egypt, thou hast taken us away to die in the wilderness. Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone? that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Can I remind you of something? That ain't actually what they said down in Egypt. 
What they were actually doing down in Egypt was crying out because they were in horrible bondage and they were suffering under the hand of those taskmasters. And they were not saying, hey, this is pretty good. Let's stay here. They were crying out for God to deliver them and God sent a deliverer, Moses, and God did deliver them. But in their minds, once they were delivered from that difficult situation, there wasn't supposed to be any more difficult situations. And so God has marched them down to the shore of the Red Sea. Now sometimes we don't think as much as we should about what that really meant. Because what it really meant was they couldn't go forward. The sea was there. And by the way, it's not the Reed Sea. It really is the Red Sea. It's a real sea. To their left, if they'd have marched south, they would have come up against a place called Migdal. Migdal was one of the largest fortifications of the Egyptian army in the area. If they would have turned to their right, they would have marched out into the Sinai Desert and there was no way that they were ready to face the desert as early as it was. And then if we compound it with the fact that behind them is pursuing and running them down the Egyptian army and that new great engine of war, the chariot with iron wheels, they were in real trouble. And what they were praising God for a few hours earlier, now they were cursing Moses for having brought them up out in this way. Can I remind you that they were not at the shore of the Red Sea by mistake? Can I remind you that God led them with a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day and God had instructed Moses to bring this exactly bring them exactly to this place and this was God's purpose and God's will and I love what Moses says back to him listen to it Fear ye not stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. You know what in essence Moses says to them? Will you people please shut up? Will you just please be quiet and let's wait and let's see what God is going to do. And by the way, God was going to do something mighty because God instructed Moses to take that staff and hold that staff out over that Red Sea and that Red Sea curled up and fled back and not only did it curl up and flee back, a wind came through there and dried that seabed and those Israelites, maybe a million or more strong, marched across that seabed, not in muck and mire, but on dry ground. And let me tell you something, there wasn't one Israelite to include Moses who could say, well, I knew God was gonna do that. No, you didn't. You had no idea God was going to do that. You weren't sure God could do anything. You thought you were going to die. Man, they were amazed at what God did. You know what their problem was? Their problem was the same problem we have. 
we come up to a problem, we come up to a circumstance, and if we can't figure out how it can be solved, we think it can't be solved. And we forget that our God is big. Our God is great. Our God can do that which we cannot do. And one of the great purposes of our life and our faith is to get ourselves to the place where we no longer live by our logic and our reason and our ability and the little box that we build for ourselves because our God is bigger than our box. And God is able. You believe that tonight? God is able. With that as our thought process, I want to give you three thoughts tonight. Here's number one. The great possibilities of our God. Here's number two. The great poverty of our minds. Here's number three. The great purpose of our lives. Number one, the great possibilities of our God. I love that word, able. And again, I'm not going to act like I know Greek. I don't know Greek. I told you I have a Strong's Concordance. And it makes me dangerous. And if you look that word, able, up, it is a powerful word. In the Greek, it is the word, dunami. Now, you go say that and add $5 to it and you can get half a cup of coffee at Starbucks, all right? But I'll tell you, it's important to read what Mr. Strong says dunami means. I've had people tell me, well, that dunami, that's the word we get our word dynamite from. I, I don't know if that's exactly true, but it, it may well be true because it speaks of incredible power. But I love what Mr. Strong says, that word dunami simply means, means this, to be possible. You know what this verse is saying? It's saying unto whom, him to whom everything is possible. Unto him to whom everything is possible. There was a day when a young maiden, a young virgin living in Israel, desiring to see Messiah and desiring to please her God, she was living and serving and doing what a young woman would do. And God Almighty sent an angel to her. And that angel said to her, Mary, you're going to have a child and Mary, not sinfully, but out of curiosity, says back to the angel, hey, you don't understand. That's not possible because I've not been with a man. And right away, because Mary couldn't conceive that anybody could have a child unless they had been with a man in the process, biology says, births a baby, it could not be done. And that angel says back to her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest 
shall overshadow thee. And therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing, for with God nothing, for with God absolutely nothing shall be impossible. And that little lady, Mary, stood there and there was no way that she could have ever thought up, I know what, the Holy Spirit can overshadow me and the Holy Spirit can conceive in me the the Son of God. I'm sure that most Jews, most Israelites were looking for a natural process for Messiah to be born by. But hey, we serve a supernatural God. And God made the laws of nature. Mother Earth didn't make God. As a matter of fact, there ain't no Mother Earth. There is God, creator God. And God designed this earth and God made natural law. And any time our God wants to cancel natural law, wants to supersede natural law, God can do what he wants to do. And our Savior was born not by the seed of a man, but by the power of the Holy Ghost and conceived in the womb of that pure and chaste virgin little girl and was born into this world not with the nature of sin like you and I have, but perfect and spotless and blameless, the Son of God without blemish, the Lamb of God. Because nothing is impossible with our God. As if that wasn't enough, that angel says to Mary, and by the way, if it's not enough to just conceive by the Holy Spirit, that child, hey, God is also able to do this. Remember your cousin Elizabeth up there in the north country? Well, she's an old lady. And she is way beyond the childbearing years. And you know what God did? God said, hey, Forget those natural laws. And let's do something miraculous up in the hill country too. Let's have a virgin birth down here, but let's just suspend the laws up there and let's let Elizabeth and her husband have a child when they are past the childbearing years. Now, I don't suppose any old folks are in here are praying for that kind of miracle in their life. But I want to tell you, What it indicates to me is is God can do anything he wants in our lives. And sometimes what we do is we build a little box and we say, well, this is what I think we can do and this is what I think we're able to be and this is how far I think we can go. And God says, will you please throw that box out? Because with God, nothing shall be impossible. If you believe that tonight, say amen. Amen. It's easier to believe than it is to live by. Because though we'd never admit it, what we do is sometimes bring God down to our size. 
and say, I think he could do this, but I don't think he could ever do that. Here's number two, the poverty, the poverty of our minds. You see, God's ability and possibility are infinitely above our own. It is above our asking, but it is also above our thinking. And one of the great goals of our lives ought to be to think like God thinks. Now get this. We will never ask like God wants us to ask until we think like God wants us to think. How many times in the Bible does God say to us, boy, I think differently than you all. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. He says that in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Hey, let me translate that. God is smarter than all of us. And God is able to see what we cannot see, envision what we cannot envision, do what we cannot understand, because God is able. He reveals to us that much of our failure in prayer is that because we ask amiss. We ask amiss because we think wrong. We want to consume it upon our own lust. And then he comes to the place in the book of Philippians where he says this to us. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He says to Mike Edwards, I want you to have the mind of Christ. Huh? How do I do that? How do I think like Jesus thinks? How, how do I understand like Jesus thinks? Years ago, we had a missionary in our church whom I had been in Bible college with and both of us were married students and if you're in Bible college and married students you barely have time you go to class and then you're going to work and then you're taking care of your family and so he and I became friends because we sat next to each other in some classes but we really didn't have great times to fellowship but we did all we could when he graduated and I graduated I went the pastoral route he went to the mission field and when I started the church, he was one of the first of the missionaries that we began to support. He was one of those guys that didn't come home often. He was too involved in the work and so busy in that place. And, and when he finally did call and say, I'm coming home, we scheduled for a furlough. We scheduled him for our missions conference. And both of us wrote back and forth, man, I'm looking forward to the time. We're going to carve out some time where it's just you and I. We're going to sit down, talk about things, reminisce about things. And, and man, we were looking forward to it. I'll never forget during the conference week, we kind of found some time and we decided we'd go to breakfast together. And whenever I take somebody to a restaurant, I only take them to the better, the best restaurants. And so we were at IHOP. And at IHOP, I'm seeing him looking at the menu. And you, you know how sometimes you can look at somebody and you just, man, you know the wheels are spinning and something just not computing up there. And I, I said to him, I said, Jack, is... 
is something wrong. Do we, there's, there's a nicer restaurant across the road. There's Waffle House across the road if you want to go there. <laughs> he, and this is what he said to me. He said, Brother Mike, he said, I've thought in Spanish so long that I'm finding it hard to think in English. And he said, for the life of me, I can't figure out what Rudy Tootie fresh and fruity is. I said, Jack, absolutely nobody knows what that is. Don't order it. I'll tell you what the Spirit of God said to me right then and there. Edwards, you know what your problem is? You've thought in Mike so long. You've thought in Edwards so long. It's going to take a tremendous process to break Edwards out so that you can think like Jesus thinks. Man, what an important truth. So how am I going to do that, Lord? How, how, am I just going to decide one day I'm going to take a course in Christ? Am I, am I just going to say one day, okay, I'm not going to think in Edwards anymore? Hey, the truth and the answer is concealed in this verse. And I want you to look at verse 20 again. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power. Now if you mark your Bibles, I want you to do something. I want you to look at the word able and the word power because they're the same Greek word, same root word, dunami. But then I want you to notice where is that power working? In us. Hey, listen, I don't have to conjure up the power to think like Jesus Christ. I've got to surrender to it. When God saved me, he gave me the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel it, I didn't sense it in a physical way, but the Holy Spirit took up residence in my heart. And the Holy Spirit brings with him a sanctifying, life-changing, mind-changing, heart-changing power. My problem is I all too often grieve him or come close to quenching him instead of surrendering to him. And if you and I would come to the place in our lives where we would carefully be surrendered to the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to control us, the Spirit of God would do the sanctifying work in us that would allow us to think like Jesus thinks. And when we think like Jesus thinks, we'll ask according to his will. And when we ask according to his will, we'll have the things that we ask. And we'll see that which we thought was impossible be done. Years ago, my wife and I and our family, we lived in Woodbridge and in the D.C. area, but we lived out a little ways, and we, it was wonderful. We had five acres, and boy, it was just beautiful living in the woods, and, and I heated with wood. Maybe some of you heat with wood. Probably a bunch do. And I loved heating with wood. It's great heat. 
And it is really good to heat with wood when you've got two strapping teenage boys that live at your house. Because you hand them an axe and you say, fellas, there's a pile out there. Go make heat for the house. <laughs> and then they grow up and they go off to college and they get married. And you realize your wife does not want to chop wood. <laughs> and so we moved into town where there was a gas furnace instead of the wood that I didn't want to chop. Now, when we moved into a house, it was a smaller, we downsized, and, and uh, you know, we had some people that knew we had moved in, they wanted to drop something off, a small gift, and so they called and said, hey, we're going to stop over and drop this off to you, and of course, my wife went into a panic, the house wasn't cleaned and to her standards, so she started scurrying around cleaning, and, and I being the unbelievably good husband that I am, said, honey, I'll go clean the basement. I'll go run the sweeper in the basement in case they want to see the house, and, and I'll take care of that. And, and I went downstairs, and I don't know about your house. At our house, we have an upstairs vacuum sweeper and a downstairs vacuum sweeper. And the one downstairs is just about ready to give up the ghost. So I get down in the basement, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like the perfect husband. I'm doing this, you know. And I, I get the vacuum sweeper out and I unwrap the cord and the phone rings. And I go over and I pick up the phone and it's somebody that needs to talk to me for a moment. And so 10 or 15 minutes pass by on this phone call and we finally get whatever it was that we had to resolve, resolved. And, and I go back to the vacuum sweeper and I hit the switch and nothing. And I think to myself, why did, why did we move this if it's broken? Why didn't she think, throw it away? So I yell upstairs, hey, lovingly, hey, this thing doesn't work. And my wife yells back down the stairs to me, did you plug it in? And I'm thinking, does she think I'm a moron? Did I, well, did I plug it in? Oh, Stupid story, a picture of our lives. We live with access to the greatest power in the universe. And we still try to do it ourselves. We try to do ministry ourselves. We try to do marriage ourselves. We try to raise our kids ourselves. We try to do our careers ourselves. We try to live with God in our little box and we say, God, you can do this, but we don't think you can do this. And if we would surrender to the power that God put within us to work within us, we would find unbelievable, miracle-working power that comes through us. You say, preacher, that sounds Pentecostal. Let it sound how it wants. The Holy Spirit is who He is. And we walk around getting our results instead of the results in our lives and ministries that God could give us. Let me give you a third thought. The great purpose of our lives. I want you to notice the last verse. Unto him be glory. We live in a generation that thinks God exists for our good. 
Why is God up in heaven? Well, because he, he's got to bless me. Because he's got to provide for me. Because he's got to, I'm going to speak faith words. And whenever I speak faith words, he's got to do it. He's got to give me prosperity. He's got to give me health and wealth. He's got to give me a happy life. Hey, God does not exist for our good. We exist for his glory. Now, God is good. And everything God does for us will be good. But because we exist for God's glory, you know what God does sometimes? <laughs> he marches us down to the edge of the Red Sea on purpose. You know, I used to think that Anytime something difficult came in my life, it was something bad that happened to me because I did something wrong or because somebody was doing something wrong to me. Did you know that God lets his children come to hard places on purpose? Hey, can I ask you a question? What, what did Daniel do wrong that ended him up in the lion's den? Hey, what did those three Hebrew children do to end up in that fiery furnace? How did they sin? What was their wrong? What did they do wrong? Hey, here's the truth. God allowed the fiery furnace on purpose and God allowed the lion's den on purpose. Why? Because God wanted to show himself mighty on their behalf on purpose because it would glorify him. Sometimes you and I, when God would love to do something great, something that revealed him through our lives or through our ministry, we do everything we can to make sure that we never go to the edge of that Red Sea. We put up an umbrella, <laughs> kind of, keeping God off of us. And I'm telling you that sometimes God just lets us walk up to those things that we can't see how he's going to fix it. We can't see how he's going to do it. We can't see how he's going to provide it. And it is our opportunity to stand there and stop fussing and stop blaming and start saying, this is going to be awesome. Because I ain't got no idea how this one's going to work out. But I know I got here in the will of God. And God is going to do something great. Did you know that God wants to do something great in your life? You see, the great purpose of our lives is to bring glory to God in all of our lives. I think the, the thought that throughout all ages, what's that mean? Well, it can mean two things, and let me tell you what I think it is. I think God wants to bring himself glory through our lives at any age. I see some beautiful little children in this church. Did you know that God wants to get glory from the lives of little children? And by the way, it's easier than us old kids. <laughs> 
Did you know that God wants to get glory out of teenagers' lives? Oh, preacher, you don't understand, and we never do. Oh, preacher, you just don't understand. Uh, teenagers, that's, that's a time when they just want to sow wild oats, and that's a time when they just have to, you know, kind of be rebellious. No, it's not. It's a time that God wants to get glory in and through and from their life. Well, preacher, I, I understand that, but we're a young couple and we've got kids and man, we're in the struggle part of life. Hey, God did not give you children to be an excuse for you not to be faithful to him. That's preaching right there. <laughs> God gave you kids because he wants to get glory from your family. Yeah, it's a real, sometimes a real tough time. Sometimes it's a real difficult, tiring time. Hey, God wants to get glory from that couple who are in the career portion of their lives. God wants to get glory from the lives of those who look like this. Did you know there's no season of life where it's okay to just lay it down? To just say, I'm not going to serve the Lord now. I've served all my life. I, I've told you, I think maybe, but I'll, I'll briefly tell you again. When God came to me and told me, hey, it's time for you to leave this church. I wish I could tell you the first time he whispered in my ear. I said, yes, God, okay. Here's what I actually said. Lord, you just don't understand. Heritage is a good place to be. And, and these people actually like me. They actually love me. They would let me stay here for a long time. And he said to me, hey, I said it's time for you to leave. And through a process, he finally whispered into my ear the Holy Spirit. And here's what the Spirit of God said to me. At what age or stage of your life, do I not have the right to ask you to step out by faith? And you know what? There is no age. And there is no stage of life where God does not have the right to get glory from our lives and to ask us to live by faith, not by sight. Oh, we love to live by sight and say we live by faith. Every age of life. But not only every age of life, I think it can also mean every age of this earth. Did you know that God did the impossible in creation? It still baffles the scientists. Why, evolution has to be true because no one could believe creation. I do. And it takes a lot less faith than this coming by just accident. I mean, look at me. I could be an accident. Nobody else in this room could be an accident. Did you know that God did the impossible for Noah? Did you know that God did the impossible for Abraham? 
Did you know that God did the impossible for Moses and Israel? Did you know that God did the impossible for Mary? Did you know that God did the impossible for Peter and for John at Pentecost? Did you know that God did the impossible for Paul? Hey, you go shake a viper off and not swell up and die. Our God did the impossible, and you and I are somehow supposed to live thinking, well, he did the impossible up to 1756, but he doesn't do the impossible anymore. That's not true. We don't let him. Because we tell him he has to fit into our box. And because we don't want to step out to the edge and say, God, I'm in a real scary place here. And he says, yeah, I know you are. I brought you there. Well, God, my tendency is to want to kind of manipulate circumstances and maybe move back here and, and I'll, I'll take care of this. And, and God wants us right there. I don't know about you, I do know about me, I don't want to go in a fiery furnace, do you? But can you imagine the testimony that those three Hebrew boys had for the rest of their life? Hey, are you the guy? Are you one of the guys? Yeah, I'm Shadrach. Oh, was it really seven times hot? Oh, you bet it was seven times hot. I didn't feel it. My clothes didn't even smell like smoke. Man, I went to a place that had fajitas and I smelled like fajitas. He didn't even smell like smoke. <laughs> and for the rest of his life, he gave that testimony of what only God could do. But if he was so timid that he wouldn't, he wouldn't step up to where God wanted him to stand, he'd have been like those thousands of others who when they heard the music bowed to the idol. But he said, not me. I'll let God do what he's going to do. You imagine the testimony of Daniel? Are you Daniel? Yeah. Were there really lions? <laughs> there were lions. How did you stop their mouths? I didn't. I thought I was dead. But God, but God, but God, do you have a but God testimony? In your life, is there a, I don't know how, I don't know why, but God, but God, but God did it. Hey, our God is able. What can he do in your heart and mind? Well, preacher, God can't, God can't use me in that way. There might be young men in here who God is stirring their heart to preach the gospel. And they've already set a box that said, well, no, God, no, God can't use me. I, I don't talk. I remember a guy named Moses, and he tried that one too. He may be stirring in the heart of some couple to go to a mission field. No, we, we could never do that. We put God in a little box. There may be folks in this room tonight who have a child that's away from the Lord. I mean really away from the Lord. 
And you used to pray a lot for them. But now you've almost started rationalizing. Well, did you know that God can bring your child back to him? You believe that? God could do that. There are some in this room who don't think they could ever be involved or give or do for the ministry. And, and so they live their lives timidly, never trusting God to do what only God can do. Let me say this and I'll be done. Your church has accomplished a great deal in building this building. But this building is not the goal. This building is the tool. But preacher, you just don't understand. We, we live in a rural area. And we could never fill this building. God could fill this place to the ceiling. God could change Elizabethton through this place. God could rock Tennessee. And Lord help you, God could even help Virginia, which desperately needs help. Right, Brother Sturgill? If we stop putting God in a box, God could never pay our debt off. God could never build a bigger building. God could never let us develop programs. Stop it. Stop it. For with God, nothing is impossible. The only limits we put on what God can do with our lives and our church is that we take him and put him in our box and say, this is as far as we can go. This is all we can do. I can't see how anything else can be changed. Stop it. Because our God is able. He is able to help you break that habit that has been held you in bondage for years. He is able to take your marriage and the struggles that are in it and change your husband's heart or change your wife's heart or change both of your heart. He is able, he is able to bring that son or that daughter back to the Lord. He is able to heal their marriage. He is able to heal your hurting body. He is able, he is able, he is able. Stop putting him in a box. You believe that? What do you need to trust God to do in your life? Ask him. Put yourself out there and ask him. Would you pray with me?